The Third Magpie by M.S. Clements Read by Hannah Timms Episode 8 Thursday, 9th of December. I think I shall add a little extra to the English lessons. I need to liven things up before I become as stale as everyone else. Good evening, 568216. Finn didn't care. Michael wasn't even his real name. For the authorities and paperwork, he was a mere number. At Schoolhouse 87, he was Mr Michael. He'd only been Michael to his school teachers, doctors and hospital administrators. He was Finn, and the longer he kept her away from his real identity, the better. Cat was distracted, swiping her fingers across her tablet. He was used to being ignored, but continued in his efforts to capture his pupil's attention. Um, uh, Miss Fry, don't you think we should discuss Mr Knightley's reaction to Emma interfering with Harriet and Mr Martin's relationship? Cat stopped playing with her tablet and looked up, the corners of her mouth rising upward and her eyes widening. He had her, or so he thought. Seconds later, the room filled with music, music engulfing him with the memories of home, music deemed to be corrupting and unacceptable by New Albany. Do you dance? Cat was standing in front of him, her hand held out, ready to be taken. Is that an order? Am I obliged? He didn't need to hear her answer. This was her world, her fiefdom. He put his hand on hers and she jerked him close. Her arms wrapped round his torso. She rocked him in time with the music, dissolving a past pleasure into another tormenting weapon. Why don't you have children? She said, edging ever closer with each sway of her body. Finn tensed, tightening his grip on the teenager's small hand. Ow, that hurts! I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to hurt you. I'm, I'm not used to dancing, sorry. He hoped his excuse was enough to save him from answering her question. Then we should dance more often. I like dancing, it's liberating. She pulled at him, using the toes of her shoes to nudge him in her desired direction. Her face was touching his and with her breath on his neck, she whispered, Does she get rid of them? Sixteen years married, and what do you have? Nothing. Tiny beads of sweat were developing on Finn's forehead. The room was spinning, his head was spinning. Sofa, stove, sofa, table, door, sofa, stove, sofa, table, door. Does it disgust her to carry an alien's offspring? Is that why she gets rid of them? The fault lay with him and him alone. His breathing accelerated and perspiration rolled down into his eyes, blurring his vision. He tried to escape her grip, but she held on to him, vice-like. His chest tightened. He had to concentrate, willing himself not to lose his temper. Our sole purpose in this life is to breed little patriots, dutiful mini-versions of our husbands, ready to serve New Albany. Finn stopped moving and stared at his pupil. 
For New Albany, the female Albion, even the ones as elite as Catherine Fry, were nothing more than a womb for sale to the right ambitious officer. Her anger pierced out from furious eyes, harpooning and entwining him, drawing him into her. He turned away, breaking the hold. I'm sure you'll be more fortunate than us. Is that how you see it? Misfortune? I doubt it's how your wife sees it. She has a life. She has freedom. She has choice, free of childbirth and screaming brats. Finn stood stock still. Sophie had no more freedom than him. Her life was bound to his. She had sacrificed freedom and choice to be with him. The princess in her tower had no concept of the reality of his wife's life. Do you think she's waiting for the day she can no longer bear children? Officially declared a failed patriot, free to escape the bounds of New Albany, free to join you in your worthless outer world, repatriated together. Cat's insults carried spitefulness. Are you her ticket to escape? Is this what it's all about? Escape? It's an illusion. They won't want her either. You can never leave. We're all prisoners. It's just that some of us are better treated. Her words were like the suffocating hold of a boa constrictor, compressing his lungs with her ominous warnings. He bent forward, trying to regain his composure, dwelling on the reasons why he should ignore her. If he lost his temper, he'd be just the same as Andy. And he wasn't Andy. Cat went over to a small cabinet next to the fireplace. The little cupboard contained a collection of bottles all filled with the same amber liquid and a set of small tumblers. Pouring the liquid into two glasses, she handed one to her tutor. Drink? I doubt I have a choice. She laughed and shook her head, watching him bring the glass to his mouth. He let the syrupy drink coat his lips, and like Cat, he did not turn away but stared straight back at her. She sat on the sofa, puckered her lips into a kiss and then closed her eyes, savouring the caramel in her mouth. Finn took that brief opportunity to tip his drink into her mint tea left to go cold on the side table. His hand shook and the crystal glass caught the edge of the porcelain, making a bell-like ring. Cat opened her eyes, sighing with mature disappointment and slid off the sofa. She was on all fours, each arm gracefully extended as she crawled across the gap between them, her head up, focused on him. One arm pushed down to the left of him, then the other to his right, the seat depressing beneath the weight of her strength. She pushed herself forward, her face getting closer and closer. Her nose touched his, and her lips rested on his mouth. He could taste the sweetness of strawberry lip salve mixed with caramel. Every nerve within him was poised for attack. His body had fired up a furnace inside him. He didn't need a mirror to know his face had gone red, and that his fringe was stuck to his forehead with gobules of perspiration. Suddenly, she pulled back, returning to her seat. How did she do it? What? Stop the pregnancies, of course. She did nothing. I mean, she did nothing wrong. We've just been unlucky. Sometimes that happens, no particular reason. We do want children. 
Cat filled the seat next to Finn, the heat of her body adding to his misery. What about your illness? The blood in his flesh that moments before made his cheek flushed red drained away, leaving his face chalky white. The guilty memory of past mistakes had caught up with him. Mumps, wasn't it? She was perfectly entitled to view his medical file. After all, he was a DIA and his past had been documented and placed on view for public scrutiny. It's a myth. Mumps rarely causes total infertility. We've just been unlucky, that's all. An expensively organised clerical error, keeping his forgotten past safe from her insinuations. Catherine raised an eyebrow and poured another drink. The music played and the ticking clock marked the minutes of Inquisition, plenty of time left for Cat Fry to pry. Do you know what else I found on your file? Tucked away under miscellaneous notes. A request. You wanted to abandon your wife and start a new life. You requested a repatriation leaflet, didn't you? Finn looked down, replying quietly. I didn't know that was on my file. It, it was just a conversation. It had been years ago, just a trivial chat with Sergeant Mason. But it had happened, and it had been documented. It had become an irrefutable truth. Cat lay her hand on his bouncing lap. Her long manicured fingernails had found the crack and they were prizing open his box of anxiety and memories. I don't believe you. Something stopped you. Or someone else. Finn wiped away a bead of sweat rolling down the side of his face with the back of his hand. He needed to keep calm. She mustn't get to the truth. That box must be kept shut. You say you want children, but you endure the restrictions, the humiliation, all for a barren wife. I don't believe you. There's more to this. There must have been a very strong reason for you not to go. His heart was thumping, panic surging inside him. She was opening the box. Was it because she was pregnant? It is amazing what a human will do for the love of a child, isn't it? Why do you say that? You can't know that. How would you know that? <laughs> because, 568216, you just told me. Where is it? What did your precious wife do with it? A brief moment of calmness overtook Finn's normal state of near panic. He no longer cared what would happen next. Finn sprung out of his seat, spinning round to confront his bully. Bitch! My wife did nothing wrong. It was your bloody country and people like you. I loathe you all. Catherine tried to grab at him, but was met by Finn's hand slapping her face. I am just a number to you. Just another DIA to be tortured for your own sick pleasure. Finn's blind anger paused just long enough to see brief shock on Catherine's face. She touched the reddening cheek. He expected tears. He expected anger. He got a broad grin and long arms extending along the back of the sofa, basking in the glory of her triumph. She had goaded him into a fatal mistake and once the mad calmness had disappeared, Finn knew it too.
Oh, dearie me. What shall we do with 568216? The Commandant's daughter brutally attacked by a DIA. There will be harsh punishment. They'll need to make an example of you. A DIA betraying the trust put in him. They'll take you away from that patriot wife. A woman disgraced by your immorality. Alarm bells were deafening all rational thought. Cat would be believed without the inconvenience of proof. Who's to say she would stop at the accusation of crude language? He read a banned book. They danced to prohibited music. She had rested her lips against his. He had slapped her. Look at me, 568216. Look at what you did! Finn couldn't move. She was by him again, her fingers pressing into the flesh of his cheeks, forcing his face up. Her face was in his, the satisfaction in hers mirrored by his despair. You have privileged status. Why do you have ministerial importance? Who's protecting you? Why are they protecting you? Is that why you're such a perfect angel? You can't disgrace whoever it is, can you? Cat could accuse him of any crime. He'd be lucky with just a labour camp sentence. Sexual assault of an unmarried patriot girl by a DIA carried the death penalty. This was not a misdemeanour that a bribable guard would conveniently forget to add to his file. Catherine released her grip and sat beside him, her hand running up and down his back like a mother comforting a fallen child. We will have to find a way to save you, won't we? If that's what you deserve. Do you deserve to be saved? I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Truly, I, I am. Please, I will not do it again. I am very, very sorry. She had him trapped. Her fingers were on the soft cotton of his trousers, tracing circles. Why don't you tell me about the baby? I want to know what happened. You can do that, can't you? Tell me about your child, and your wife will avoid the ignominy of becoming a hanged man's widow. She spread her fingers out and pushed them down, keeping his legs still, waiting for his decision. The box had been forced open, and he must answer her. She died. She came too early. There are so few premature baby units in this country, she wasn't a priority. Even if I had been allowed to access my money. Molly lived for an hour. They recorded her as a miscarriage, but she was born alive, crying to be saved. We weren't even allowed to bury her. To them, she was human waste to be incinerated and not the child that we mourned. There, that wasn't so hard, was it? She spoke softly, soothingly. Would you like some water? You look rather pale. 
Finn said nothing. There was nothing left to say. He was silenced by the guilt of the failed parent. The daily guilt that he couldn't save his child. The guilt that he'd caught mumps so soon after. The guilt that they'd not been able to conceive another baby. New Albany's voluntary prisoner sat in the dark, his face illuminated by the tablet on his knee. Cat was right. Under miscellaneous was the request for the repatriation information booklet. Had Sophie known all along? Had Sergeant Mason told her that her own husband, who professed undying love, was preparing to leave her? The conversation between Sergeant and Alien had been a moment of madness. One too many bad days. An innocent bystander who became the focus of blame. The unfortunate embodiment of those distant and invisible strangers waging daily conflict with the Albion authorities. He missed his home. He missed Evie. The restrictions were only ever meant to be temporary. Six months, they said. They forced him to choose family or wife. And they forced him to miss Evie's wedding. Had the sacrifice of freedom been a price worth paying? Would his life have been bearable without the one woman who gave it reason and purpose? Finn recoiled at his naive younger self, in love, laughing at the peculiar rules and regulations of his adopted home. He was Michael Finlay Sheehan, and she, Sophia L., daughter of an up-and-coming government minister. It wasn't the right time for a baby. They were too young. Contraception might have been illegal, but it was available all the same, as long as you had the money or the right connections. They had both. Apart from that minor transgression, they were law-abiding citizens. They weren't terrorists, saboteurs intent on bringing down the government. Sophie's own father was in that administration. Finn was the model foreign worker, dutiful and loyal. Restrictions existed, but not for people like them. Strong security was good. Nobody could possibly want terrorist attacks. And if a few inconveniences and reductions in rights meant everyone was safe, so be it. The descent from blissful naivety to bewildered reality had been a harsh and bruising one. They soon learnt that temporary meant permanent, and blame requires a face and a name. The daily briefings reported a litany of rape and murder by marauding foreign workers. The economy was failing, responsibility attributed to all the invading aliens stealing the best jobs. They were thieves, they were perverts, they were cockroaches out to destroy the beautiful dawn of New Albany with their libertine practices. The identity card scheme was meant to be a safety net, a way to distinguish between the good foreign worker and those deemed a danger to society. Finn didn't have anything to hide. He was the model foreigner, an ideal alien. How could it all go wrong so fast? He couldn't help but wonder about Kat's words. They were all prisoners of New Albany, all subject to its harsh reality. The file closed, the tablet back on charge. Finn returned to the kitchen table to mark essays. The past had happened, its details recorded. The fall from Dr Sheehan to 568216-2-MI was complete. New Albany owned him now, his body at least. His memories remained free, unchained, prodding its victim with sharp, painful stabs.
Thank you for listening to this production of The Third Magpie. To support our work, please consider buying or gifting a digital copy of The Third Magpie from Amazon or post a review on Goodreads. Register at pageupbooks.co.uk to stay in touch with future projects. That's pageupbooks, P-G-U-P, like the key on your keyboard, pgupbooks.co.uk. Thank you.